Hello and welcome to the Redcast podcast, or should I say welcome back? We haven't done a podcast for like three, four months, so it feels so good to say that. As you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, we've completely changed all of our studio, um, so that's where we've been the past four months, but we decided that when we came back, we had to have a slight difference. We've been doing a lot of match reviews and match previews, but the whole emphasis of the Redcast was to come and interview people with stories to tell about Liverpool, interview ex-players, people with associations to the club, anything with a story about this fantastic club. That was the whole basis of setting up the Redcast. Um, so we decided that we are going to go back to the core basis of this and start season three, basically completely fresh. Uh, so every episode from there on out with the Redcast is going to be interviews with people who've got stories to tell about this football club and yeah, let, let's see where it takes us. I want to say a big, massive shout out to Daz from the Liverpool Connection podcast for sorting this first guest out for us. He is an absolute legend, heart of gold. Do go and check out his podcast. It's available everywhere. It's the Liverpool Connection podcast. They have some phenomenal guests on it. And he really helped me out with episode one of this podcast because I present to you Bruce Grobbler is episode one of season three. I am so excited for everyone to hear this. So do stay locked. Leave a like rating. Leave a subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Leave a little comment. Let me know what guests you'd like to see on the podcast. But first, enjoy episode one. It is Bruce Grobbler on the Reds Cast podcast. Enjoy. Taking it back to the very start, where did your love for football come from? Well, you're talking about my love for football here, uh, going back until I, well, way back. I think I was, I had to, I was looked after at that football field by my father. Yeah. And I'll tell you why, because my mother and father were both uh, in their own sports at the uh, sports club called Railton Sports Club in Salisbury, Rhodesia. And my mother was playing hockey and looked after my sister, who was probably four at the time, and I was uh, two. Yeah. And my father looked after me, but uh, he was a goalkeeper, so he stuck two rods in the in the ground, tied me to it, and I went five meters that way, five meters backwards, watching him play in goal. So that was from the age of two till four, and then five I learned to sit down in the dugout and that was it what team did you grow up supporting then <laughs> in Africa I, was, I supported my father's team uh, Ralton but then when we got our television um, we could get match of the day on the Saturday yeah. and I played all the sports in, in Africa played cricket baseball in the summer rugby um, football in the in the winter and because Derby County uh, played at the baseball ground, I thought, well, this is cool. This, he has a team in Britain that play baseball. Yeah. So I, I was, a, you know, Derby County fan. When, when you made that Bumble reaction, when you made that reaction, then, then uh, I thought you were going to say United or someone. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, and the bubble burst when I found out no baseball was ever played at the baseball ground. It was the worst ground in the in the in the first division at the time, and um, and so I I was out at my uncle's farm out in uh, in Yazura, and we were sitting on a a lake, and I remembered the birds of uh, teams in the first division, like Tottenham and. Uh, Crystal Palace and Liverpool. And I'm thinking, geez, which one looks like a cormorant? Because, so I didn't want to go for a rooster. <laughs> but the cormorant looked like the liver bird. And I thought, bang, that's going to be my team from now on. So obviously. And that's how it grew. So yeah, you've grew up like watching Liverpool and stuff. What was it like when you actually had the chance to, to move to Liverpool because obviously you had a, a spell at crew. Uh, and where did you first Well, uh, listen, Darren, it, it took a long, long time for me to get to where I was. Yeah. A team, a team that I turned to to save me from the, the Derby County. 
So Liverpool came, and that was my team. Yes, and my favourite colour at that time was red. So match made in heaven. I I chose that, and what was it like? It took me coming. I remember sitting in the middle of the bush with three of my colleagues in the army, and we we're making lunch. And I said, you know what? If I get if we get if I get out of here. I'm, I'm going to try and get to play for Liverpool. And the one fellow across the road, he said, get out of here. You know, we're going in for an ambush tonight. We, one of us could get shot. Yeah. And yeah, w one of us did get shot. It was him, but uh, we managed to save him. Uh, he was one of my best mates. Good news. Because obviously you did have a military career, didn't you, before you became became a professional footballer? Yes, I did. Unfortunately for me. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you went, uh, you started off at Vancouver Whitecaps. How different was, like, made you professional? How different was the MLS then to what we're seeing now? Well, when I was there, it was the North American Soccer League. It was a league that was taking off. All the big names around the world went to play there. The likes of Pelé. Uh, Beckenbauer, Bjorn Cruyff, the Nayskin brothers, Cubius, uh, you know, uh, big, big names, you know, Willie Johnston. Uh, so it was, a, it was a vision that the Americans had to make it the best league in the world. If they learned from the British something is how to get to that stage, but the Premier League for me is still the the best. And when I went there, the difference was we had to entertain the fans or try and get the fans off the American football, the basketball, or the baseball. Yeah. So when we when we played, we had to interact with the fans and give it, you know, oh yeah, and and chat to them and and the and the. They they have these uh, what do they call it these mascots. So the one one of the games in in uh, Tampa, they had the the Dallas Cowboy, that they had the San Diego Chicken, and they had some some other uh, um, bird, and these these were entertaining the fans. And I remember playing this game, and the shot went past me, past the goal. The chicken dived, caught the ball, and then ran away with the ball right. and wouldn't give the ball back. <laughs> and the only way that he gave the ball back was with a referee coming to give him a yellow card. He dropped the ball, and then he kicked me, kicked me in my behind as I ran away. <laughs> so, it was one of those. So I rugby tackled him, gave the fans a little bit, and then that's probably where I got all my crazy stuff from. <laughs> yeah. But the difference between playing there was we were trying to get the fans to come on our side and Vancouver we we played in front of 30,000 at the Empire Stadium so it was a little bit different because in Africa I played in front of 30,000 30, Africans uh, I was used to playing in front of big, big stadiums but when I came to Anfield that was just a, a sheer you know, that was the, the best. In between, I was in crew, which had five or 6,000 people, which actually, it, it taught me the way of the British football. Yeah, You don't have to mess about, uh, you know, you got to do it properly. Unfortunately, in my first six months at Liverpool, uh, I didn't do that and uh, we weren't in the best position. You know, obviously, speaking of crew, um, is that why you made the switch to the English league then to try and get noticed by a first division side because it was it was the best standard? No, unbeknown to me, uh, my manager at uh, Vancouver Whitecaps, Tony Waiters, used to work with the academy at Liverpool, and then he went over to North America to take over Vancouver Whitecaps, and. It was he who told 
Liverpool about me uh, in Vancouver and then sent me to crew on loan uh, with Tony Waddington, who was a good friend of his. And Tony Waddington took me in a crew. Uh, Liverpool, I never knew how long it took for them to get me a work permit uh, and a league clearance um, and a government clearance to actually come into the country and play. And it was down to Tony Waiters, Peter Robinson, the late Peter Robinson, uh, who's unfortunately just passed away, um, and Bob Paisley, and the, the length of time that they had and the amount of letters that had to be written to the league and the, the FA to allow this African boy to come in and play in, in the UK. It's crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? But speaking of Paisley, um, absolute Liverpool legend, icon like yourself. When you hear that he's interested in you, given the success he'd also had prior before you came, how was that for you, knowing you were going to work under, under Bob Paisley? Well, I never knew I was going to go to Bob Paisley and Bob, until Bob Paisley came to um, Vancouver uh, to ask me if I'd like to play for Liverpool. I knew that he went. He came to the last game of the season at Crew when we played against uh, York City on the third of May, nineteen eighty, and he watched twenty minutes of the warm up and then left. Just so I must have impressed. I must have impressed him in the warm up because he never watched our game. He went to go and watch Stoke City play Port Vale. So um, I, I believe, through sources of mine, that he actually. That was on the 3rd of May. On the 5th of May, on the Monday, he came back to crew to ask Tony Waddington if uh, he'd like to see me. And Tony Waddington told him that he had to go to Vancouver, which he didn't like. He didn't like flying long ways. And uh, six weeks later, he came to Vancouver. And he asked me a question. And then I never saw him. I answered the question and he walked out the door. <laughs> him and Tom Saunders went out the door and I never saw them for another six weeks because... That was when I was signed by Liverpool Football Club. I wasn't knowing that you were going to be going to Liverpool then when it, after that twelve week period that you were you're on your way, bags packed, and you were going to represent the team that you had grew up watching as well. Well in 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 the six weeks after I came to crew, Bob Paisley only came to ask me hey, would I like to play for Liverpool? She still didn't know. And I said, yes, it'll be an honour and a privilege. And he said, yes, okay, Tom, let's go. And they went back to the airport, jumped on the plane that night and flew back. Now, in the, in the next six weeks, I played every game for Vancouver Whitecaps. And on week five, we got a new goalkeeper that came to Vancouver. And it was... Uh, David Harvey from Leeds. And I'm, 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 I was thinking, well, what's going on here? And then week six, we played against uh, San Diego. And yeah, the next morning, got up, went to training. And uh, Tony Waiters said to me, uh, do you need anything shipped to the UK? I said, no, nothing much. I got my clothes and my, my stuff. He said, good, because I've just sold it to Liverpool for £250,000. A record for a goalkeeper that they know nothing of, but uh, you're going and you're going tonight. So I had to go back, get packed, and then I left that night. And then got to Heathrow the next morning. And yeah. Do you think Thinking that do you think transfers were done better then back then? Not knowing. Sorry? Do you think the transfers were done better then back then, not knowing, not all the media and stuff? Ah, cheapest keepers. Uh, you know, I, I was a, a record signing for a goalkeeper and I landed at Heathrow Airport thinking that there's someone coming to pick me up. <laughs> you had to make your own way from London to Liverpool? Correct. To Manchester and then Manchester, I thought the limousine was coming. <laughs> it still didn't and, say that. Uh, Still didn't, so yes, I got into Liverpool, yeah. 
What was the pressure like then coming in as a record free for a goalkeeper who many didn't know relatively much about? Well, when I got there, we had the greatest goalkeeper that Liverpool has ever seen. By in England's finest, England's finest goalkeeper that's ever played in Ray Clements, the late Ray Clements. And I knew for a fact that I would was going to be there for you know a fair amount of time, uh, knowing that the, we've got this fantastic goalkeeper there. Uh, I played three games in the reserves in the six weeks leading up to the end of the season. My games were away from home, and Steve Grzovic played at home. So, yeah, it was pretty surreal when at the end of the season, uh, off-season, Ray Clements decides to go. So coming back in, they threw me in the deep end, and yeah. First six months, as I said, yeah, I didn't uh, particularly perform well. And that's when Bob Paisley at Boxing Day pulled me in the office and asked how, how I thought I had played for the first six months. And I said, well, I could have played better. And he said, yes, uh, if you don't, you'll find yourself back at crew. And yeah, that year... Boxing Day onwards, from New Year's Day onwards, we went on a run and we won the league by three points with a game to spare. So Fantastic turnaround. Did you get yeah. to learn much from Ray Clements then in your short spell that he was there at the club, would you? Yes, I did. And uh, the big thing was to be myself, not to copy anybody, and be confident. And that was coming from him. You know, he always gave an encouragement wherever he saw. And when we met at Wembley in the League Cup final in my first year, he just said, well done, you've turned things around, continue doing what you do, and you'll be okay. He wasn't wrong, was he? <laughs> You played the majority of your career though at Liverpool under huge names. We mentioned Paisley, you had Joe Fagan, Daglish, Ronnie Moran, Souness. But who would you say was the most influential on your career? I'll get three three of those five. Well, Souness, uh, and then there's Roy Evans. Three three of the five, which was Paisley, Fagan, and Sir Kenny Dalglish. Those guys uh, have been a huge influence on my career um, at Liverpool. And, uh, you know, I can heartily say, put my hand up and say, three of the top five managers I've worked under in the world. That good. Did you know, obviously you played with Kenny as well, did you just know he had that nice four management before he took the step into it? Oh, we never knew that. Listen, we never knew that he was going to take over. We thought it was going to be Alan Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Hansen was the one that uh, stood up in front of us and said, yeah, we're looking for an interim manager and it's going to be me. And he slaughtered everybody in the room and then walked out the room, came back, sat down, and our chairman came back and he said, uh, well... Kenny is now gone. I'm going to be uh, the new uh, caretaker manager. Now that Kenny is gone, new caretaker manager is, uh, is going to be Ronnie Moran. <laughs> and Alan Hansen, creepers, creepers, took the mickey out of us so uh, so much there that you know it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> well, obviously, you're, in Liverpool, you made over 620 appearances over 13 years, regarded as one of the greatest goalkeepers in Liverpool history. Um, what does Liverpool Football Club mean to you, though? Uh, Liverpool Football Club gave me a position where I could actually uh, look back at life of the first shoe in my professional career. 13 years of the best type of life I've ever had. Um, 
football in general saved my saved my life really. Yeah. And I, I talk about in my book about uh, how football saved my life, but the journey to get to Liverpool was uh, the journey that I dreamt about whilst I was uh, dodging bullets in the bush war. Um, and for me to become mindful of where I'd been and where I'm wanting to get to, I needed a, a, some stable stability. And football gave me that stability because you knew that you had to be fit all the time. Your mind has to be trained to be as good as ever when you're on the pitch. So that took my mind off what happened in the bushwalk. If insane. So you you look at yourself before you actually get into all the rigmaroles of why you do it and how, or thinking back to what happened. Football, in general, saved my life, but Liverpool gave me the best years of my footballing life. You, you didn't do too bad either, did you? Six league titles, three FA Cups, three league Cups, five charity shields, European Cup, Super Cup. Did you imagine at the start that you'd ever have this much success? Darren, we are only custodians of a position given to you. And when you take over that uh, position... You look after it at the best of your ability. And if you become the person that I have at a club like Liverpool, then I think I've done a little bit for the club. And I'll hold it up. When you look at the keepers that we've had in the past, going through and come right to today, we've had some fine, fine goalkeepers. And in the early days, before... um, emails and uh, and everything we used to have a teletext and our teletext at liverpool was goalkeeper so we fo- we followed the tradition as liverpool football club and we always will we will always have regarding who whoever comes in we'll have the finest goalkeepers and it's up to us to make sure that it does you know and the fans, for me, have made goalkeepers play much, much better because they appreciate a good goal. the the position and goalkeepers. It doesn't mean your own goalkeepers at Liverpool, but also the opposition. And if you notice that we are the only team that actually appreciates the other opposition goalkeepers. Yeah, we do. When he, when he walks the cock, they give a clap, don't they? Absolutely. So what's your opinion on the great man between the sticks at the minute, Alison Becker? How, just how good is he from a goalkeeper's perspective? Goalkeeping is about uh, your angles. And if you notice that uh, Alison Becker, he is unbelievable on his ankle, angles. That's down to his positioning where he doesn't really have to have a full dive at getting balls. He's in the right place at the right time. And I can say they are whole, whole heartedly, uh, the goalkeeping department at Liverpool Football Club is, is actually superb. I never thought I would say this, but uh, yeah, I, because I've had a go at uh, the goalkeeping department's head goal, uh, goalkeeping coach in the past. And that was only just uh, because of his handling of a couple of goalkeepers. And... I can see now that they've got a great goalkeeping department in the uh, positions that they've got uh, have now. Alison Becker is probably one of the top five goalkeepers in the world, moving upwards in my my mind, and will become the probably the top goalkeeper in the world. Yeah, and his backup's not too bad either. In Quiv Gallagher, he's he's looked fantastic when he's he's had a bit. We've got another one behind him and Adrian. Yeah. And for me, we've still got a fine goalkeeper in Loris Carius. Yeah. He was he was fantastic though, wasn't he? To be fair, before the final that, that season, he didn't he win the Champions League Golden Glove that year as well? 
He did. Uh, unfortunately, he might have had a slight concussion when yeah. uh, he got nailed, uh, which, okay, nobody looked into. Um, nobody looked on uh, why and calming him down, putting your arm around him, helping him, helping him out of a bad situation after the final, other than sending him away on loan. Yeah. So it's, it's a catalyst of everything, but I think everybody's learned and uh, he's still a fine goalkeeper. Yeah. Speaking of Champions Leagues, uh, you won one of them yourself. How was that going to play Roma in their own backyard? Like, Was that one of the greatest <laughs> nights of your life? Uh, it, it, it was a scary night uh, to start off with because, uh, you know, uh, the, all the team were stoned. You know that? No, didn't know that. Yeah, it was the rocks coming through the bus windows. What the hell, from their fans? From their fans, yeah. How was so, How was it after? Obviously, did that rile you on more <clears throat> to want to go on and, and win the game? Well, listen, uh, we went through the game. You know the the two goals that we uh, that were scored. Um, Phil Neal's off his shin, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, and the Prutzo's header that went got in front of Alan Hansen, flicked it. Were pretty good goals, but we controlled the game after that. Yeah, but unfortunately, we hit the bar. The keeper made the, some great saves, and we didn't take our chances. So we got ourselves into a penalty shooter. But it was Joe Fagan that, that gave me the idea of trying to put them off. Yeah. And would you say then now is the, what was that, that pinnacle? Like when you hear stories from like Stevie G and stuff like that, they always saw about the Champions League being like the pinnacle of their football career. But you won so many other honours. Would the Champions League still rank higher than all of them for you? Well, if you have a look at the the, champ, the Champions League, <coughs> the Champions League wanted a Champions League of all the champions in the whole of Europe. Yeah, you, yeah. European Cup was a knockout tournament straight from the get-go. Oh, so no group stages or anything. No group stages, anything. You, if you get knocked out in the first round, you get knocked out in the first round. So it was a lot harder. And to it was a knockout. Then. A knockout right from the beginning. When I took over from Ray Clements, the two seasons after we had won in Paris, the two seasons that we got knocked out were both my fault. Yeah. Goals that I coming for and keeper dropping at people's feet. Yes, bang, goal, missing across header, goal. So we got knocked out. <laughs> in those days, behind the Iron Curtain. So it was a harder place to go. Yeah. Nowadays, it gives you an impetus. You can, you know, get in the top two, and then you see that, so, you know, you can play, you know who you're going to be playing before you even actually get there. And your, your journey is going to be mapped out. Yeah, because it was a lot harder to win, wasn't it, when it was the European mm -hmm. Cup? More prestige. It really. was it was a champions trophy. Yeah, the best. Not a champions league. Yeah. Do you prefer the old format then to the new format? It's a money spinner, the new format, and everybody knows that. But uh, yes, you know, I know why they've done it. Because now the revenue comes in and everybody's getting richer. And yeah, it, it, it makes sense to them. But if you want a true champion, then go back to the old one. You'll soon find out who it is, isn't it? Yeah. So out of the, um, the leagues you won then, is there any that which year would stand out to you the most as where you felt at the absolute top of your game? Because, I mean, you, you won six of them. So which was the year you'd say was the year where you I'd, were? I would say the first year, the 1981-82 season. Yeah. Because we were 13 points behind, we were 12 points behind first place and sitting in 13th in the league. So that was a, a, a fantastic team. 
And then uh, with Kenny winning uh, the league at Chelsea, that was another great team. And then again, 89, yeah, we came, you know, winning, winning that one. That was another great team. It had a lot more purpose as well, didn't it? Winning it in 1989 for <clears throat> other reasons, obviously, off the pitch. Yeah. Um, it was probably one of the lowest of the lows for all players during the club. How uh, how was it being part of the team? winning? So first of all, winning the, the league, knowing that it had so much more riding on it that year and also around the hills. But disaster, how was it being a player at that time? How did you mm. still manage to win football games with all that like in your heads? Well, here comes the story that I will tell that uh, many people don't know. Uh, during the, that uh, trying time that all the players and the manager in to Kenny Dalglish, I don't. I believe that he should have been knighted straight after that final for the way he conducted himself uh, around the the bereavement of of the Hillsborough uh, and with the conduct, how he conducted himself in helping uh, the bereaved families getting counseled. Now, if you have a look at w what we did as players, we were all billeted and told where to go to which funerals with the counselors to talk to families we actually counseled ourselves with the counselor and the brief family. Wow. And the way that Sir Kenny and Marina Dalglish set about to, to setting it up to do, I believe he should have got knighted then. And the way that he conducted himself was absolutely superb. Um, we all faced exactly the same. We were all troubled souls. Some of us probably didn't want to play, but after we had got the counseling that we needed, and yes, we some of us were actually spat at, told to get on the flying fish by the families, but your persistence on with the counselors, making them listen, helped us into a better place. And for me, the people that were surrounded in the Hills, Hillsborough tra tragedy have come to realize that they are a group of people that did it for the city of, of Liverpool because we weren't the only ones that had to be counseled yeah. because some families are split and because their son went to Hillsborough they had to be mended as well. And it's the whole city that needed to be man mended. And hopefully we've, we did that. Unfortunately, the other side we had to play against. Yeah. So just want to get your, your view on how important the Hillsborough law is then. Uh, we've seen Liverpool, the first club, obviously, to back it. Now we've seen so many clubs follow suit. It was off the back of... Um, the and documentary on ITV over in the UK, which was fantastic, and I feel as though that will show fans from other other clubs maybe what Hillsborough actually means. Um, but how important do you feel the Hillsborough law is? And it because when you read through it, really, it's shocking that it's not already law, isn't it? I believe the Hillsborough law will be will be passed in the House of Lords. Uh, it should have been done. It should have been done very, very quickly after what happened. Um, and it's a game to be, again, down to the people that put the program on about Sir Kenny Dalglish and how he's campaigned. Yeah. And everything to do with Liverpool Football Club because Liverpool Football Club had is the backbone of this Hillsborough law. Yeah. On a more lighter note, um, you're the reason Liverpool didn't win the league from when the last time you won it, isn't it, aren't you? 
<laughs> well, if, if you believe the stories that I know that uh, happen in Africa, uh, because I do believe in them, uh, yes, I should never have had a witch doctor at my <laughs> testimonial game. Why? And, and for me, having a, a witch doctor and saying, and him saying to everybody in the stadium, if you don't have the jungle man, Bruce Grobler, playing, uh, sorry, working here at this place, you won't win the league again. And we never did. And me and my small brain, never picked it up until I actually came back and thinking about it because I've been back to Africa and I know what they do in Africa because I've been part of that uh, witch doctor's football background. Yes, I knew what to do. So I had to break the curse with your own era. So it's the, minute you re- the minute you realized that this... Um was because you and you had to obviously we on the posts. Did you do it straight away? No, I. There was a time where I was thrown out. I peed <laughs> on two posts at the cop end, and I got caught by the security guard, and I got thrown out of the stadium. Uh, so, when we played uh, Chelsea, Stevie G slipped. We came second, and I told the story to good friend of mine at Hotel Tia, Norwegian fella. And uh, then in, I don't know, it was 2018, I think it was, we, we he was invited for a corporate game at Anfield. I think it's 2018 or 19, I'm not, I'm not too sure. Um, to come and play for Hotel Tia and go. And when we were sitting in the dressing room, he said, no, listen, you're going to have to finish what, you're going to have to finish everything. I said, yes, I'll, I'll try and play well. And he said, no, finish what you started. <laughs> so I went in the, I knew what he said. I went into the uh, toilet, emptied the water bottle, and peed in the water bottle and poured the urine over the posts and then splashed the top, put the top on it for the first half and uh, did the second half. And that's when we went on the run. And we won the league. It's, it's remarkable, really, and it? Anyone it's, who doesn't believe it, it, it's too uncanny for it to not be true, isn't it? Well, I've done it in Africa, and it's worked with when they say they, there's donkeys. If the donkeys are on the pitch in your opposition stadium, You've got to take the donkeys out of the stadium then get four guys to go and stand on one post each and pee on the post. And you want to see the fans go absolutely ballistic because now they know that you're taking their medicine away. <laughs> and cute. at the end of it, you win and you walk out and you, you, your bus gets stoned. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes you think though, doesn't it? If yeah. that witch doctor didn't put the spell, we may even race a one under Gerard Houllier as well, um, because we come very close that year. But at least the case is broken now. And where was you when we won the league? What was what was that like for you as a fan? When we won the league, yeah. Where was I? When I I was so ecstatic. I was there, and it was brilliant. It was good to the club, wasn't it, to have all ex-legends like yourself actually be able to there to witness it because it had been so long. What what was so uh, bad about it is we weren't allowed to celebrate in front of the fans. Yeah. And it's been a long time coming, but uh, I hope uh, there will be a, a day that the the team can go around the streets with the Cups again and I think it'll come very 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 soon speaking of, of praise like that you've, you've obviously had a few yourself what, what are they like we heard the likes of Jürgen and stuff speaking about it being overwhelming the amount of support they had how are they for you yeah. you had so many if I tell everybody they'll say that I'd say yeah that's that's just him blowing it up but it is not um, if you go around on the bus in Liverpool and I've been on a few. It is absolutely 
mind-blowing on how many people actually love that team and the city. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if they've never been to Anfield. They come out in their droves uh, just to see the parade, and that is absolutely fantastic. Does it that ever, is absolutely fantastic. Does it ever take you back just how big this club is? Of course it does. It's a massive club. You know, people in, in Brazil name their club after Liverpool. There's a Liverpool playing in Brazil, for goodness sake. Yeah. Um, it is massive, massive. Uh, you know, if you go around, Zimbabwe is probably more Liverpool than any other team now. Because of uh, your chef, that influence because of yourself? Myself and also South Africa. Yeah. And there, and there, are, there are teams in Africa that they love that the, the, the Liver Bird and Liverpool football team. I bet you get a hero's welcome every time you're, out, you're, you're back home. Plus, if you want to know the, a true fact, I went out to Beijing and uh, I was out there. Was it Shanghai? I'm not too sure. No, which was it? We, we, yeah. It was Beijing. No, it wasn't. It was Shanghai. I went to Shanghai with um, the AXA and uh, the Standard Charter. And, and Petro... Petro Canada lubricants. Yeah. And I found out there, whilst there, that Petro Canada lubricants had been with Liverpool for, you know, three years. And they never knew how many Chinese people watched Liverpool when Liverpool play. Probably a good lot of them, isn't it? A good proportion of them. Well, 62 million. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. So maybe when you go over to China, you get heroes welcomes and stuff, don't you? Well, they 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 only know the players on the park now. I was just oh. there as an old person, <laughs> but the older people, yes. <laughs> so yeah, it was a, a mind blowing experience going out there and teaching the Chinese the word of Liverpool around in China, but I was my, blown out of my mind. So, no, sorry, 286 million. I've just seen it now. That's even more. 286 million. That's a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. What, what's it like then, rep, like, like you just said, you was out there with Axel and Standard Charter and Pe um, Petro. What's it like post-football still being able to represent the club? Is that is that sort of many clubs do or is that just Liverpool embodying ex-legends as like family so to speak because we're a very family club or is it is it yeah. something you enjoy as well Liverpool Football Club was the first club to have a former players association it was run by the players um, and they had a chairman a, a secretary and a treasurer and we used to have three uh, meetings a year one a golf game a day one lunch charitable and then uh, just the boys get together and because the club has now moved on, uh, we've gone to now uh, the Forever Reds and the Forever Reds are asking uh, people to do things for you know for the former players. Uh, but the, the club has been very, very good to our former players because it, they get a chance to come to the game, work some lounges, work a couple of uh, hotels in the city before games. And... They've they've helped the players tremendously, you know. After the, the in their football, uh, after life, and it's the afterlife of football that uh, a lot of footballers might think that you know might be the end. And Liverpool Football Club has uh, helped quite a lot of the of the former players. How much do you enjoy, enjoy doing it then, going out, interacting with all the fans, the legends, games? Is it something that you love more than anything, other, anything else post-football? Well, I would have loved to, which I still, you know, try and get into is, is coaching because I like uh, coaching and doing things for youngsters and seeing them, getting them better. So, 
I'll have probably one more uh, coaching soiree up my sleeve uh, somewhere in the world. And uh, then I'll have a look at it. But Liverpool Football Club will still be there. Um, even if I'm going to go on these uh, journeys with the, the coaching, I will still come back to Liverpool Football Club and, and be a part of that great big family that we are. Speaking of coaching, is that the book that's that's never left being a footballer? You always want to be involved within the game. Yes, you have to uh, go through the you know the the loops and everything to be in that position. Uh, but I, for one, has been one that I'll always be in it. Yeah. Football's given me my life back and I want to give back to football. And that's that's just me. It's, a, it's addictive though, isn't it? It's the best thing in the world, really, football. Listen, football is the best sport in the world because it's the only sport that brings people together all over the world and they are the politicians on the day. Yeah. The people on the field are the politicians of the day, whichever, which, however you look at it, it doesn't matter. Liverpool playing against Independiente, they are the politicians of UK and they are the politicians of Brazil. Yeah. For that time that they're on the field, everybody's watching them and they are the politicians. And football bring people together. Yeah. And make joy for everybody. Maybe some sadness, but for the others, but yeah. It's boss when you speak about football, you can see how in your face how much it means to you, how passionate you are, how, how excited you are about it. Um but just want to take your mind back when you to when you were thirty seven and you left Liverpool to make the move to Southampton. How was that? Was that one of your lower days or was that still a high? Like a new chapter, a new challenge? No, it was a uh, it was a new challenge with uh, the late Alan Ball, who is another top top manager in my eyes. You know, I w- I went there for two years, and you know, so it wasn't the the salubrious time that uh, of football that I went down there. Uh, my first year, I was accused of match fixing, and I played eighty percent of the that season's. Um, uh, games so I missed six games and that was because of a depressed cheekbone wow. after four games Alan Ball came to me and he said listen I'd uh, really want to take you to the hospital to get a, a mask fitted I think that you could play better than David Besson in goal. And it took me two weeks to get it, so I went back. And we ended up 10th in the league. Not about achievement. Second year I was there. Yeah, 10th in the league was the highest they've ever achieved since the start. Yeah. I know they've been higher since then, but uh, it's only to 6th, I think it was. Recently, yeah, recently. But, and the next year I played under Dave Merrington who only played me the last six games of the league because they were languishing in relegation and that's when I went we went five games uh, draw uh, saved them from relegation so I thought I was going to stay there but unfortunately the third manager there which my next year was uh, Graham Suness who told me no he didn't want me so I went and I went to Plymouth with Neil Warnock. I went around the leagues lower. And when I got down to Macclesfield, sorry, it was it? No, Northwich Victoria. And I played for Northwich Victoria in the FA Cup. And then this replay, they told me that they didn't want me. I thought about, uh, well, I'm going down south that fast. I went to out to Africa and coached. Uh, teams in Africa for seven years, took five teams uh, in South Africa coaching, and I loved every every minute of it. 
And then I found myself going over to Canada, set up the western side of the Newfoundland League on the island, went out and uh, coached with Ottawa Fury. And then I found myself coming back to Anfield. Because you had you had played in all the leagues. I was looking at that. You played literally went right down to the counties leagues and stuff. You've had that such a mad journey in, in football, really. But sure, can you remember? Do you remember them days fondly in the in the non-league footballs? Because a lot of people in the UK say that's where proper football is played these days. What was it like for you playing in the in the counties? Absolutely. Listen, in the counties, the counties are the places where where football starts. Yeah. With the youngsters. And with the junior programs, if you do not have those county teams and the junior programs, you're never going to get the likes of uh, M- Michael Owen, Ian Rush, you know, all, all the big name, Harry Kane, John Barnes. You're not going to get those people if you don't have those counties, clubs, and all those leagues. So if you can give back to those county clubs, which I did in, in uh, Castleford, I played for Glass Out and Welfare. Um, if you can't give back to them what they've seen, what you can do, so or go and help out in the community and coaching, then we're not going to have those teams. Yeah, and you're not going to get the new stars in the world. So yes, county teams, you need them in the world. Football is the best sport in the world, as I've said, because it brings communities, teams together. And some sadness, but in life that happens. Yeah. So, what would you, with modern day, you see a lot of, of players go to the likes of Americas and stuff for, to see the careers off. Would you say players would get more out of doing what you did and dropping down the leagues gradually and eventually play? Because imagine the experience you give for the counties league when people were coming up against Bruce Grabbelar. Do you think it's important Listen. that continue people continue passing that down, or are you just one in a million? Maybe I didn't know my uh, my decline in, 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 in goalkeeping at the time and I was going down that fast. <laughs> but but yes, I was I was pretty old in those times and so I don't I've got no regret. Listen, I came out of retirement at the age of sixty and I played in the Kunifa World Cup for um Matabililand out in 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 London area. And yes, I became the the oldest goalkeeper to play in a World Cup at the age of six, 60. And we beat the Chagos Island 1-0. Because you was in goal. Now you, now you, I was in goal for the first uh, 30, 35 minutes and then we put the other keeper in and he got injured so we had to put the, uh, the third goalkeeper in. We still won 1-0. <laughs> but it's crazy. You you know, you ask where can FIFA? It's the countries non-affiliated to FIFA. Uh, so it's like rarely small countries. Small countries. So the Chagos Islands, for instance, we played against them, beat them one 0 They had the Isle of Man in the in this tournament as well. So yeah, you know, it's little places, little place off Sicily, a little island, one of those, you know, parts of Italy. That, yeah, they had they had Italian Premier League players playing for them, the Italian side. But you ask where the Chagos Islands is. Well, the Chagos Islands is in the Indian Ocean between India and uh, Madagascar, a strategic point uh, of about five islands. So I asked the captain, well, it must be beautiful. He says, oh, yeah, yes, it was, but there's no people living on there. It was only, it's, it, it was taken away from them by the British and the American. Uh, governments and it's now an Air Force NATO base <laughs> but they can still play they still go out and name the country and play for the country yes uh, I said well where did you where where do you living now he said in Croydon <laughs> <laughs> I said what happened to all the others oh they split up from Birmingham Bradford yeah so like and they live in the UK, in the UK. so yeah it's amazing. 
But yeah, that was more of an experience than like a World Cup though, weren't it? Because there is, everyone's got some mad stories to tell in, in that. Yeah, listen, it was a, uh, it was a great, great time. I got uh, Matt Bilil and their, their boots and some of these kids that were playing never wore boots in their life. And they, they were crying when we got them their boots. That was the help of New Balance with Liverpool Football Club. Uh, they gave they gave us uh, all the the boots that uh, are sent back because they different sizes and they couldn't fit them. They're not allowed to sell them, so we got those and we gave them to our team. And it was yeah, it was it was good to see. That's amazing. Uh, so <clears throat> one of the final few questions here: what's What's your opinion on modern day football? Because when I like when I speak to my dad and stuff, he's always like, "Oh, they just fall on the ground these days. It's not proper football." I mean, you've had some famous uh, fights with like uh, Macatier on the pitch, and football was just different back then. What do you think it's changed for the better or for the worse? The modern day um, football now has gone scientific. Um, there's a lot more uh, science that's gone into. Uh, your body and uh, what you eat and how do you how you train, but but I feel that the the managing of the games is getting too much for the referee and how the referee manages the games. There's too many niggly, just the worst type of fouls that you've ever seen. Now if you, you're talking about VAR. If a person goes over and gets the other one booked, if the referee or the monitor fellow say, well, it's not his fault, he he faked what he did, then he should reverse the yellow card and give him a yellow, uh, give the person that is cheating a yellow card. There's too many of these blatant little uh, incidents that are happening that are conning the referee. And again, has it has it helped the refereeing situation has to get better with the VAR, and I think that then the game will be in a better place. Referees of Europe let things go a little more than the uh, referees in the UK. Why do you think that is? Because I, I've always said that European referees just seem to be a lot better than the English referees. Is that just down to the FA, the way they tell them to referee a game, or is it just poor knowledge of football, really? I'm not too sure. I think it's the the VAR is the only good as the person that's uh, looking at the VAR. That says it all. <clears throat> and finally, we... And, and... I, I would advocate that you get former players to do the VAR. Yeah, people who know the game they will play be, the game. They will be non, non-biased yeah. and get them to do a game that they are not associated with that team. So, for instance, if they want me to go and do the VAR, let me do a West Ham versus Tottenham. Okay. Not Liverpool. No, no, just on the VAR. Yeah. I'm the VAR person to tell them, uh, you should check that, Mr. Referee, please, and let him go over there and see it. It'd make more sense. You've given the person, you've given the the red card, or so your yellow card to the wrong person because that one has done something. Please go check the monitor. You'd think think that they'd have a bit of knowledge about them to do something like that, wouldn't you? But. Because I remember the other week we pulled out the referee and there's pictures of him. We we had a ref and there's pictures of him at Old Trafford. The referee. Ridiculous. Yeah, I know. It it beggars belief, but, uh, you know, it's got to get better. And I'm sure that it will do. Maybe maybe you should start a little campaign, Bruce, about getting ex-players on the the VAR. Could be onto a winner there. Oh, jeepers, creepers. <laughs> are, the, are the boys going to step up and go and do it? They, sh- they could do. could do. Sack all the punditry yeah. off and go and do that. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, we heard about what the club means to you. But what about the fans and the people and the city of Liverpool? What does that mean to you? 
I will always be associated with Liverpool. My two eldest daughters are Scousers, so there's no way that I could ever um, disregard the city that uh, is bringing me so so much joy. Uh, Scouse people, salt of the earth, probably the best in the world. Their wit is so sharp. And, uh, yeah, if you go around the world, there's three people that you'll find in the world. Any place you go. Yeah. One of them is going to be a Scouser. Very true. <laughs> so it's fantastic to have had you on, Bruce. I really appreciate your time hearing your stories. Darren, no problem at all. And to all the people that are listening to the podcast, whichever team you actually support, you support it with the bottom of, from the bottom of your heart. And don't let anybody tell you differently. And if you're a Scouser, you carry on supporting the team that you want, especially <laughs> if it's the Reds. Yeah, not the Blues. 